0: we just thank you for this hour that you have created for such a time as this, God. You are breaking off the bondages and you are setting your people free. We are going into the darkness and we are taking back what the enemy has stolen from us. We are redeeming the captives. We are transforming their lives. Father God, we thank you, Lord, that you are just sweeping in and you are taking back the spoils of war the enemy has taken from us. And you are giving us the ground we couldn't get on our own. It is all through you. We thank you for this day and we ask you to empower us with your your glory, your word, your presence, and your love. In Jesus' name, we cancel every assignment of the enemy. And we say, go. You are not welcome here in this place. In Jesus' name. We pray, God, that every person here would leave with a revelation that they didn't have when they came in. They would have power and faith. And they would know who they are in you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, we thank you, Lord, that your will will be done in this place today. In Jesus' name. (sighs) Father God said to me, it's time for a prayer war. It's time for a prayer war. The seasons have changed. The the bride is changing. The season we are in that he told me is the season of the cross. And we're going to remind the enemy of his defeat. And our victory. And we will bind him to the cross. Whenever he comes around messing with us, we just say, ah, the cross. We bind you to the cross. We bind you to your defeat. His defeat is the cross of Jesus Christ. Our victory is the cross of Jesus Christ. So he comes bugging us, we just remind him of his defeat. And we bind him to the cross. I heard a story recently about a Christian man who died and went to heaven, came back to life, but he said that when he was passing through the earth's atmosphere, he was surrounded by all these bright, intense lights, like uh, like missiles just shooting around him, just lights everywhere, and he instantly knew they were the prayers of the saints. So our prayers aren't a little thing. They're literally warfare, missiles, ammunition, powerful power. You know, so many people say, "God, would you save little Johnny?" And the Lord says, "Ah, uh, would I?" And we say, "Could you save little Johnny?" And he said, "Could I?" and he says you ask me for little johnny and you stand in faith for little johnny and i'll move heaven and earth for little johnny prayers are not wishes and hopes prayers are declarations and their power their petitions and declaration and the intercessors praise god for the intercessors the intercessors are the legs that the church stands on thank you jesus And intercessors' prayers are like God hearing the commands of his generals. He is not hearing wishes. He's saying, what do my generals want me to do next? So we've entered the season of the cross and we have to fight unbelief because what's left from the battle that we've come through hangs like unbelief and doubt. So we have to fight because we are heaven's secret weapon. Yes, We are a weapon of mass destruction to the enemy. We are a weapon of mass destruction to our enemy. We, us, no matter how normal you think you are. <laughs> You're not normal. You're the light of the world. Your prayers are extremely, our prayers are extremely important. When the Lord told me to come today, He says, I want you to talk about prayer. So I want to talk to you and tell you what the Lord considers a, a prayer war. In Isaiah 36, the king of Assyria, his name is Sennacherib, but I call him shenanigans. Um, the king of shenanigans, because that's what he does. Oh, he's just so terrible. He had an enormous army. He had hundreds of thousands of soldiers. He had so much money, so many chariots, so many horses. He was literally undefeatable. He was undefeatable. Everywhere he went, he blew them away. He, was, he betrayed right and left. He, he slaughtered people right and left. He was unstoppable in the natural and he had defeated everyone around them. And then he came to Hezekiah, the king of Israel. Hezekiah took over the throne from his dad. His dad wasn't very good, he permitted all this idol worship. And Hezekiah came in and he reestablished the temple of the Lord and he got rid of the idols of Baal and he cleaned house and he loved God so much. But he didn't have a big kingdom. He had thousands, not hundreds of thousands of soldiers. All he had was God. That's all he had. He didn't have money. He didn't have military might. He just had God. So the king of Syria comes in and he pours out all his threats on Hezekiah. And he intimidates him and intimidates him. And he sends his messengers telling, mocking Hezekiah's faith. Mocking him, reminding him of how small he is. He's nothing. And that's what the enemy does to us. He mocks our faith. He reminds us of how small we are. And he intimidates the body of Christ. And that's what he was doing to Hezekiah. He humiliated him in front of his people. And he even lied. And he said, God told me to come here and to destroy you all. I'm sent by God. God is on my side, not your side. And he said these words in uh, Isaiah 36. I know this will make you mad. We'll start in verse 14. It says, this is what the king says. Don't let Hezekiah deceive you. He will never be able to rescue you. Don't let him fool you into trusting in the Lord by saying the Lord will rescue us. Don't listen to Hezekiah. These are the terms of the king of Assyria. Make peace with me. Open the gates and come out. Then each of you can continue eating from your own grapevine and fig tree and drinking from your own well. Then I will arrange to you to take you to another land like this one, a land of grain, new wine, bread, and vineyards. That's compromise. Don't let Hezekiah mislead you by saying the Lord will rescue us. Have the gods of any other nations ever saved their people from the king of Assyria? What happened to the gods of Hamath and Arapat? And what about the gods of Shinaraphim? Did any god rescue Samaria from my power? What god of any nation has ever been able to rescue its people from my power? So what makes you think the Lord can rescue Jerusalem from me? And when he was done terrorizing them, they tore their clothes. They were devastated. They were in anguish. They knew he was right. He had everything and they had nothing. They were terrified and they ripped their clothes. And all that Hezekiah could do was go to the Lord. Hezekiah prayed. In Isaiah 37, 16, 20. I think this is probably one of the most powerful prayers in the Word of God. He said, O Lord of heaven's armies, God of Israel, you are enthroned between the mighty cherubim. You alone are God of all the kingdoms of the earth. You alone created the heavens and the earth. Bend down, O Lord, and listen. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to the king of Syria's words of defiance against the living God. It is true, Lord. That the kings of Assyria have destroyed all these nations. And they have thrown the gods of these nations in the fire and burned them. But of course, the Assyrians could destroy them. They were not gods at all. Only idols of wood and stone shaped by human hands. Lord, O oh God, rescue us from his power. Then all the kingdoms of the world will know that you are alone, our Lord, our God. Amen. What he did was he praised God and he reminded himself of who God was. He reminded God of who God was. And then he humbly said, I don't have anything but you and if you don't help me, I'm sunk. But you've got to make your name, you've got to defend your name. Because his attack isn't against me, it's against you. He's saying that you're not as powerful as his God's. But they're a God of wood and stone. And you're a God of spirit. Yes. And there's no stopping you. And I want you to prove it. I want you to come to this place. And I want you to stand in the gap for me. And show him your might. Yes. Oh, yeah. And here's what happened. As he was praying, God spoke to Isaiah. And Isaiah got a word from the Lord for Hezekiah. It says, this is what the Lord says about the king of Assyria. His armies will not enter Jerusalem. They will not even shoot an arrow at it. They will not march outside the city's gates with their shields, nor build banks of earth against its walls. The king will return to his own country by the same road on which he came. (laughs) He will not enter the city, says the Lord, for my own honor and for the sake of my servant David. I will defend this city and protect it. That night, (laughs) the angel of the Lord went out among the Assyrian camp and killed 185,000 soldiers in their sleep. Do you understand that? 185,000 dead bodies they woke up to. Corpses everywhere from the angel of the Lord like that. 185,000. And here's what happened to the king. He said, When the surviving Assyrians woke up the next morning, they found corpses everywhere. And the king of Assyria broke camp and returned to his own land. He went home to the capital of Nineveh and stayed there. You know what happened to him? Later on, he was worshiping one of his plastic gods. His two sons came in and killed him. And his son took the throne. Nobody defies the living God. We've got a world, a world, thinking, God isn't real. I can do what I want. And I'll take over the world and I'll make Christians my doormat. I'll eradicate this Jesus-believing group. But they don't believe in our God. But our God is real. And they don't understand that prayer works. And they keep trying to make up reasons why things happen. But you know what? It is prayer. Prayer. It is the people of God praying. And it's moving nations and hearts. Do you know China? Communist China? Has the biggest amount of Christians? (laughs) Do you know that the, the, the grandson of Mao... Who did all this crazy stuff in China and kicked out God? Do you know he's a preacher now? And he gets away with going anywhere he wants in China and just preaching all over the place. Isn't that? That's a hoot. You can not kick out God. You can't kick out God. You can't pick him up, throw him out the door, and lock it. He is spirit and he. Okay, I gotta get going on my second war. We'll be here all day. Okay, the second prayer war the Lord showed me is in Acts twelve. The King Herod Agrippa he killed the Apostle James, and it so pleased the Jews that he he kidnapped. He brought in uh, Peter as well with plans to kill him as well. So he was they couldn't do it because of the Passover. So they brought him to the jail. (laughs) They put him in irons between armed guards so he wouldn't get away. You know, these Christians are slippery. They intended to kill him, just like they did James. They thought it would be easy. But what happened was a small band of intercessors got together and they started storming the gates of hell. For Peter's deliverance they met in a little home and it was a small group of people and while they were praying an angel of the Lord went right into the jail cell right past the guards he pushed Peter's side and he said wake up Peter, time to go Peter thought he was dreaming so he just gets up, his chains fall off puts his clothes on they start marching out the door right through the guards and he's walking through the city streets and suddenly he's like, wait a minute, this is really happening. <laughs> he thought he was dreaming. <laughs> this is really happening. And he's like, wait, I'm, I'm free, I'm out. So he goes to the very house where they've gathered to pray for him. He knocks on the door. The gal answers, freaks out, and shuts the door in his face because they couldn't even believe. <laughs> she goes and says, Peter's at the door. Oh, no, it can't be mighty faith warriors. Oh, no, it can't be Peter. They opened the door. Peter, what are you doing here? Uh, you prayed me here. Yes. You, you got my chains off me. You got me out of my jail cell. Amen. You did this. Amen. A small group of believers, believers, yes. just dismantled all the plans of a king. Glory to God. Who rules the world? Intercessors rule the world. Well, God rules the world. He does it through him. And later on, King Agrippa, he was speaking to a group of people. And they were so marveled by his speaking that they praised him and said, You're of God. And he said, Oh, yes, I am. And he was immediately eaten by worms and died. So it wasn't Peter that died. It was the man that wanted to kill him. All because a small group of believers got together and commanded and declared, asked that the Lord come in and defend his own. To show himself to be God in this place. A small group. Hezekiah, one man. This, in, in chapter 12, a small group of people. So now I want to tell you about my favorite prayer war. It is just... The most amazing thing, you've all heard of a little country called England, right? I'm going to tell you about seven days that changed the world, the whole world. In in World War II, it was April of 1940, very few people could believe that Hitler would just easily invade the countries of Denmark, Norway, Belgium, Holland, and France, and they would all fall to the German invaders. It happened so quickly, it, it rattled them. That's what they wanted. They wanted it to be lightning fast so it would devastate their psyche. They would feel defeated. And so they, they came in, they took over France, they took over Belgium, and they had the, the Allied army trapped on, the, shore, shor, on the, the shores of France in the city of Dunkirk. Everybody heard Dunkirk? They they made a movie of it recently, but it's, it's really nothing compared to what really happened there. I was kind of disappointed because this was a miracle. Massive, massive miracle that took place in Dunkirk. So you have to understand, all these young men were forced to go to the edge of the sea. And the German army is coming in after them and pushing them. So literally... Hitler was ready to announce to the British people that a third of a million soldiers had been taken captive by the German army. He was thinking this is what I'm going to have to to do. They thought they were goners. Except for King George. King George VI was a believer. This is uh, Queen Elizabeth's daddy. He's a believer. He called for a national day of prayer. This is the first of seven days of prayer. He called for the nation to pray. They prayed in such desperacy, such numbers. There were lines coming out of churches. They have photos that show the lines of people coming. You you couldn't even get into a church. It was so full. They were desperate. And they, like Hezekiah, all they had was God. They were facing annihilation and invasion. And, and and Winston gets so much credit because they don't want to really give credit to what really won that war. He should have. It, it should have been easy for Hitler to invade. By all rights, they weren't ready. They weren't prepared. God was prepared. Nobody was prepared but God. So what happened was after they called on May 26th, they called a the national day of prayer. By evening, a call went out for as many. boats of all sizes to come in and to cross the English Channel and rescue the soldiers on the beaches and 800 vessels showed up large and small because they couldn't get their ships close enough because they would bomb them so and they and honestly they didn't have very many ships so they didn't really want to risk it so they're sending these civilians over by the hundreds across the English Channel now here's the amazing thing, for some reason that no historian can find out, Hitler halted his troops. He halted his troops for three days. They had them in their sights, they had them up against the, the ocean, and he stops. For no apparent reason. Yeah. God just says, "Uh, Hitler, you got to take a break. Let's take a weekend. So for three days, his whole army stops. And the Luftwaffe couldn't fly because of a storm. So that gave our boys, or I say ours, the Allies, time to... Hey, I'm English. He gave them time to get to the the banks of, of the English Channel. And they're waiting there while all these ships... And when the ships came over, the tiny boats came over that the civilians were coming to rescue them, suddenly the skies cleared, the sea was amazingly clear, so that all these small boats could come pick them up. Winston Churchill believed, he hoped, he could rescue 25,000 soldiers before they were killed. He rescued... Three hundred thirty-eight thousand Allied soldiers. That's my God. Over and above, like you can't even imagine what God's going to do for you. Say it to yourself again, because it sounds like numbers, but they're lives. Three hundred thirty-eight thousand soldiers got picked up and saved by eight hundred boats across the English Channel, and God halted the the, the German army so they could do it. They could have annihilated those boys. But our God. Hallelujah. And prayer. Yes, hallelujah. So that was such an amazing thing that happened. It totally came in like a breath of wind to the, to the British people, to the Allies. They marked it as a day they called a, a national day of Thanksgiving. Churchill himself called it the miracle of Dunkirk. And that's when he stood before his people. And he made that historic speech. He said, we will defend our island. We will fight on the beaches. We will fight in the seas. We will fight in the field. We will fight in the air. We will never surrender. Now you've got to understand, men are men. But when the power of God comes on them to encourage a nation he comes into even Winston Churchill and blows the British people and all of a sudden they know whatever it takes we will not give up we will defend our island and it totally empowered them to stand and fight and believe and suddenly prayer <laughs> was so valuable God was real to them and they needed him this is England! This wasn't that long ago either. So on the second day of prayer was August eleventh, nineteen forty. The king called for another day of prayer. They didn't know that Field Marshal Goring, the Nazi General Goring, was planning to commence his first stage of battle over Britain. Okay, that's the they were they, they were coming in with the the London Blitz over several months. They brought in all these airplanes and they literally destroyed 60% of the city of London. The beautiful city of London. They just annihilated tens of thousands of people, children and women killed in this blitz. But here's what happened. As Goring was ready, ready to launch his battle against Britain they were able to put together a small Contingency of fire pilots. They they di- they weren't prepared, and they had the best navy, but they barely had an air force. So they built up the RAF and brought in these young men to fly it. Here's what happened, though: the British went out to fight the well-trained Nazi flyers, and they killed 180 of them. So, and by day three. The, day, the, the third day of prayer that was September 8, 1940 Parliament this time asked for another day of prayer for the nation because they were so desperate during this time many people across Britain saw angels all over the country this time when the Nazis sent their, their bombers surrounded by these fighter pilots and the little RAF guys came out
1: and they, they still
0: managed to shoot down 185 Nazi planes with relatively no losses. Isn't that amazing? They wanted to, they wanted to totally annihilate any hope that Britain had before they even landed on the shores of, of Britain. Air Chief Marshal Dowding of of Britain's military. He said, I will say with absolute conviction, I can trace the intervention of God for humanly speaking, victory was impossible. He's a military leader. Uh, Nazi General Goring had prepared at that time invasion barges stationed at Bremen. But a great storm rose up and blew them all away. (laughs) Whoops! (laughs) That's just like the devil. He goes to so much trouble. And then we just blew him away. Sorry. Not really. Sorry, not sorry. So the invasion of Britain was postponed. (laughs) Okay, now the fourth day of prayer was March twenty third, 1941. No one knew at that time that Hitler had planned another invasion uh, time to come. But King George, he planned another day of prayer. That night, there was an earthquake created by the waves with terrific gales that blew Nazi ships 80 miles off course. (laughs) That same week, Yugoslavia, which had surrendered to Hitler, changed its mind and organized resistance instead. (laughs) Ethiopia was liberated from Mussolini. The British Navy fought the Italian fleet in the Mediterranean. Italy lost many cruisers and destroyers, and the newest battleships were badly damaged. There was no no damage to the British Navy and no men were lost. The Ethiopian ports were liberated and Hitler changed his mind. Okay, now you got to understand. This I, I just I just I marvel at this. This this is so God. I don't know why people aren't talking about this. This is so God. Hitler had he had 60% of England destroyed. They had no they had no air force to defend. They had very little. And he just decides to not invade them. But instead decides to invade Russia, his ally, who was Stalin, one of the meanest, toughest guys out there. But he tried to stop him. But he was a boss, thank God. (laughs) He literally just decided, I give up. This island's too big for me. After he'd taken over all the Europe and turns the other direction and starts going after Russia, which assured his defeat. Because in World War II, the only time the Germans came close to defeating the Allies in World War I was when Russia left the war before America came in. That's a whole other sermon. <laughs> <laughs> Which I won't mind into. I promise. So you have to understand this. This was not done by any talented military heroes. Not government heroes. This was done by people just like us who changed the course of a war in seven days of prayer. He decides to stop invading them and turns and invaded the biggest, baddest dude on the planet, Stalin. Never doubt your prayers. Never doubt your God. On the fifth day of prayer was September third, 1942. It was the third anniversary of the war. The next day, Palomo, in the Mediterranean, the whole Italian fleet was sunk. The next month, the Eighth Army saved Egypt and Israel from being invaded by Hitler. The sixth day of prayer, September 3rd, 1943, was the fourth anniversary of the war. Italy surrendered to the Allies that very night. Mussolini was murdered, and the Emperor of Ethiopia said, "'I glory in the Bible.'" (laughs) Seventh day of prayer. Spring of 44, King George called a prayer because they were going to invade. It was nearing D-Day. They had put it off many times. They finally at last decided to invade on June 5th. 24 hours. The 24 hours of the D-Day invasion made General Eisenhower say he believes in God. Because of the miracles that they saw during that 24-hour period. Nobody gets credit but God. All the officers in all ranks of military came to pledge themselves to God in spite of their faith. And the chaplain of the army urged them to put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is amazing. That's what happens when a nation prays. You have to understand God loves you. And He's totally crazy about you. And He watches you. So you, when you pray... It's like an instantaneous thing. He starts planning the minute we pray. What can I do? Where am I going to go? What if, how am I going to be extravagant to my children that I love so much? We're in a war right now. It's a supernatural war. And it may look crazy, it may be chaotic, but we are winning. Yes, We are winning this war. In the early part of the 2000s, the turn of the century sounds a lot better than the 2000s. I started feeling in the church what I can only describe as rusty Christians. They were people that were, you know how iron is really strong except for where rust grows? That's a weak spot. And so I've been in church my whole life. I'm 50 years old. That's 50 years of church. (laughs) I was like born saved, just about. (laughs) And I've, I've seen a lot of things happen in the body of Christ, but it dumbfounded me what I was seeing at the, after the turn of the century, after 9-11. You know, after 9-11, we went through that time where we're like, oh God, you're so amazing, we love you, we, we became more about God for a little while. And it was so surprising that it didn't take very long. And, and you'd talk to Christians and they'd be like, What is sin? You know, they were like walking zombies. And like, what is sin? What, what is abortion? Why do we care about abortion? Nobody cares about abortion anymore. You know, we're walking around like, like a veil had fallen over the church. And every now and then you'd find someone who, who was a firm believer, and you'd be like, oh, you too? Okay, cool. We see that the world's in danger right now. We see it, we see it. And I remember, you know, I travel a lot. So when I was out traveling, not on planes, but only in cars, I would scream, wake up your church, wake up your church. Literally, the only hope of the world was asleep. And I was screaming, "God, wake up your church, wake up your church, wake up your church. And for a long time, it just seemed like we would be desensitized to the next wave of... Sin that would come in and become normal. So I was praying for the church and I was screaming, and I know I wasn't the only one. There were many people who saw what I saw. And then I saw God started to ruffle the waves and it would docile people. It would get them wake up for a little bit. And they're like, oh, we got to pray. And then they start to fall back asleep and they just become complacent. And it was so demonic. And these people of faith were dulled in their senses. And it didn't hit them. Because the enemy was cloaking in something deceptive. And then I started to know about 2012. I started to notice. um, We we had an election that year. And I I started to see people pray. And I got so excited. I thought, God, is this it? Is this it? Is it is? He said, if my people will humble themselves and pray, I will and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will restore your land. But whenever God says if, you know the answer is no. <laughs> Otherwise he'd just tell you, Yeah. It's gonna be easy. You just you just do this thing. And and everybody started to pray, and I got so encouraged and I was so hopeful. And then all of a sudden, I saw this meanness come over people. A lot of Christians, not all of them, we were starting to come together. But I just saw this meanness. Instead of speaking and declaring light to the darkness, we just cursed the darkness. And it was so angry. And we had seen miracles happen. But we got so caught up in emotion and anger and our rightness. And so nothing took place. You know, God will do whatever he has to do to wake people up. To wake his church up. Because he loves us. Amen. And I don't know if there was a sleeping mama after they announced that boys could go into girls' restrooms. I don't know if any mamas would stay asleep after that. So then I start to see in the years... Following, I started to see movements of prayer happening all over the world for America. All over the world. Africa was praying for us. I had people contact me from all over saying, we're praying for you, we're praying for you, we're praying for you. And it's like even if we couldn't tell what danger we were in, they could tell. I had people from England telling me, you guys have to wake up. Don't let what happened to us happen to you. And they're fighting. They're fighting. It's not going to happen. It's not going to be a takeover of Christianity and they outlaw everything we say. So we started to see prayer wars happen all over. And and huge movements with hundreds of thousands of people. One was Azusa now in 2016 where over 120,000 people came in prayer. And they were calling out for the word of God that was spoken by William Seymour and Mary Woodward Edder in 1913. That said in a hundred years there would be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that would be even stronger than Azusa. Azusa changed the world and it, it, it transformed the church. And right now we're not, we're not praying for politics. that's like eating a piece of gum and thinking you had a meal we're not praying for politics we are praying for an outpouring of the Holy Ghost that would redefine what politics is redefine what the church is redefine what miracles are do you know at Azusa they had arms where there was no arms, just a socket and they would have arms grow out you know, Azusa was a little stable where they used to keep horses, with a dirt floor, they had men and women of all walks and races and genders laying on this dirt floor prostrate before God, calling out to God. There was no gender barriers, there was no race barriers, there was no money barriers, society barriers, there was no denominational lines. They just wanted God, and they wanted more of Him. And do you know what happened? The power of heaven came down on that little stable. People standing back away from the building could see a funnel cloud where angels came up and down, and they could see them. like They had constant access to the throne of God. That's the miraculous power that God is saying, we will see even greater. So what if we had Azusa all over America? What if we had heaven portals all over America? And I'm telling you this, and I want you to remember this. I didn't move here because I thought this was scenic country. It's hot. (laughs) I moved here in 2011 because God sent me here. In fact, when I was... When I was coming down to check y'all out, and I was kind of grabbing, I'm like, really, God, what could be down here that's so important? <laughs> and I was coming down 45, and I was probably maybe just, out, just coming in on Huntsville, after Huntsville, and I started to see it, and I started to feel it. By the time I was with her, I'm like, oh, I remember this, this feeling from my childhood. It's, it's destiny. Y'all don't know you're living in the land of destiny. We were praying for the fallowed ground, like the scripture talks about, around this area, and specifically the cut and shoot area, which need we're the only Pentecostal church over in that area. We need an awakening, yes. an outpouring. So we were praying and we changed the name to Beulah land, which means. Beautiful, beloved of the Lord, intended to be His bride. We thank God for a new community. We pray for every church in town. So, so you have to understand that we're not contending for a certain amount of God. We don't want things to just get better. What we want to see is lives transformed. Yes. The Lord told me there's going to be a movement. Where suddenly the world will see that God is real. And there will be so many people who opened their lives up to a world of sin and devastation. So many people came out of the closet that I wish they'd stayed in. Because there will be such a great level of shame because they don't see it now. They don't see it. But then they will see it. And we need to be prepared to show them the way out of sin and shame. We need to be ready and to know what we're here for. Because they are going to need to know Jesus. Jesus is the shame breaker. He's the life restorer. He's the new beginning. And they're going to want to know him. They're going to knock on your door and say, Somebody told me you were a Christian. Tell me what I have to do. You little grandmas are going to become so instantly popular because they will know who the towers of strength are. They will know who who can pray. They will know the people that can quench the fiery darts, break, break the power of the enemy off their lives and transform them. They will know. They will encounter God through you. You're the Jesus they need to see. Do you understand that? You're the Jesus they will see. And you know, all our years of being afraid of offending people, this isn't about offense. Jesus isn't about offense. Jesus is the best news ever. Jesus isn't about offense. And I'm not gonna lie to anybody and say that it's okay for them to sin. Sin devastates lives. The reason God hates sin so much is because He loves us so much. And sin devastates us. And so He hates it because He loves us. And He's already made an answer for sin, He's already prepared the answer for your deliverance and the deliverance of thousands. And don't you limit God of what you can do. You know there's something. You know there's something in you. There are so many of you here who have always known there was something God wanted you to do. And the older you get, you think, maybe I misunderstood God. You didn't. You've been hidden because you are a secret weapon but he can only keep you secret for so long he can only give you a normal life for so long and then he's going to pull off the veil and you'll have everything they need and the power of God will flow through you and it will devastate everything the enemy's done in a moment gone devastated by the power of God you will redeem the spoils of the Lord. There's going to be an outpouring. The first wave will be to prepare the church. We're in that now. It's just the beginning. Then we will have an outpouring that will bring the prodigals home. The reason why the prodigals are so important is because they've been in both worlds. Yes, yes. yes. They've, been, they've been in the bar and they've been in the church. They know what we're talking about when we talk our crazy Christian lingo. They probably even grew up with miracles. And they know a lot of scripture that they think they forgot. And nothing that you did is gonna be in vain. You know, my brother, he he was raised in the same home I was, the same mama, and somehow he dried the hard way. I took the easy way. <laughs> He told me one day, he says, you always knew where you were going. I hated to rub it in, but I did. I lucked out. I got the easiest time. But he just, he tried everything. Everything but Jesus. Everything. But you know what? Satan lost it all. Because he called me on the phone one night and he and we talked about God all night long. And he said, Would God accept me if he knew I was drinking scotch right now? Yes. And I said, I think he already knows. <laughs> 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 so he came to the Lord. And I know my brother is going to be a powerful general, saving many people that probably wouldn't hang out with me, but love to hang out. And he'll be right there when the question's asked. Who is this Jesus? Is there any hope? So first we're going to have the, the, the prodigals come home. And God's going to build a bridge. He's, the prodigals are a bridge to the Christians and to the lost. And then we're going to see. We're going to learn. We're going to know how to receive them. And how to love them. And how to transform them. We get a little bit of practice every now and then, right now. But pretty soon, it's going to be another day at work. Another soul coming to Jesus. You know, we've been so afraid, and I'll speak for myself, of being rejected. What is rejection? It's not a bomb. So when somebody rejects you, don't worry. You've already sown the Word of God. You've already sown the presence of God. They're already a target for the power of God. It's already in there. Don't worry. Let them go. Let them say their thing. But you know the truth. That the word of God will never, ever, ever surrender. It will never, never, never give up. Relentless, passionate pursuit. For his sons and daughters. Who do not yet know him. Jesus is the answer. He is our only hope. In Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open. We've read that so many times that we don't really understand. He means it. Ask Him. Ask Him. And, in, and this is what the Lord said. Let this be said of our generation here and now. He said, Psalm 107, 28 and 30. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. That's Psalm 107, 28 and 30. So, when we see the response to the chaos of the world, we live out Philippians 4, 6 and 7. That says, do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything you see. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, not worry, not whining, not hoping, not wishing, but in thanksgiving as though it had already been done, accomplished. Let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. So I want all of us, I want all of us to stand up. I want you to close your eyes and look to Jesus. And I want you to repeat after me. Father God, God, I want you, I give you my life, I want you to take everything I am, I want you to to make me a brand new person, I give you my life, life. I I give you my soul, and I ask you to fill me with Jesus. Help me to be everything you have destined for me to be. Wipe away all the shame of the past. And breathe your breath of life in me again. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.